Thank you, Hayden, and all the Lord's people said. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Miss Angie, for playing for all of us and our congregational singing and many of the special songs. Thank you, church, for just being a good group of people. Amen. Um, you often hear me speak of others in other places. I don't suppose there's a man or a lady in this church that I have not called, if you've been in our church for very long at all, that I've not called your names and mentioned some particular emphasis about you from here to North Carolina. And I haven't said this in a long time and didn't plan on saying it this morning, but I love and appreciate every one of you. And I pray for you. These younger ones who are yet to be saved, I pray for their souls. I pray for our church, that God will increase our love for his darling son and for the word of God. God will enrich our faith. Some of you are carrying burdens as our family is. And I, if I'm aware of those burdens, I try to pray along those lines. Some of you would like to have your loved ones seated beside you today. And there's two or three of you. And, and I pray for your loved ones. And that God will touch them. And God will do what only God can do. And we can preach till we're blue in the face. And I'm going to tell you, God can get a hold to a man, a woman, a daddy, a mama, a brother, a sister, a child. God can get a hold to them and bring them and put them on the front row. I'm thinking about a man that we prayed for in the first church I pastored. If I called his name, some of you would know him because some of us went to school with him. But he got saved. And he'd go with me to every revival I'd preach. I wouldn't let him go with me on Wednesday. He wanted to. And he'd sit right over here, Jim. He wanted to. But I told him, I said, on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, you're to be at Pleasantdale. That's your church home. Unless you're sick or you're having to work, you ought to be at your church home. And I'd explain it to him. Oh, but I want to go with you. And uh, I couldn't blame him for liking my preaching. Can I get a witness? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you where he was when God saved him. I would announce, I used to preach some one year, a good little bit from the book of Jonah. I'd announce Jonah, and he was with me the week before in revival. He'd turn to the index to see what page that was on. He did that for the longest. But it was a joy to watch him grow. You don't know it. From the back rows to this front row up here, I mention many of your names and use you as illustrations of your heart for Christ, your heart for the lost, your heart for our church, and I love you this morning. I want you to know that. Take your Bibles and find with me, please, Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. The reason why I said all that, I was going to ask you for a raise at the end of the service. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I thought I could set you up for a good laugh. Thank you for being who you are. I want you to keep your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I'm interested this morning in the grace of giving. Particularly, I'm interested in the grace of missions giving. Uh, we will have our Faith Promise Missions Conference that was born long ago in the hearts of preachers out of these two chapters. It's something that we give beyond our tithe and what we normally would give as an offering to our church. 
Our church has two financial accounts. Uh, we have a general fund and we have a missions fund. And what we give to missions is separate and that lets us uh, support, if I may take the time, and, and out of that missions account we have, we have given missions offerings to a whole host of other missionaries. But you'll find in, in your uh, front fold of your bulletin each month, Brother Roger, Miss Rachel Mullins, Brother Terry Rogers and family in um, New Orleans doing a good work. Brother David, Miss Virginia Diamante, longtime veteran missionaries to the Philippines, but they're now back home in the States. Uh, they gather Sunday school materials, Bibles, anything they can, send them around the globe to missionaries so they don't have to buy supplies. Brother Joe and Miss Leela Copley in the Upper West. Miss Carol Cole, who's the widow of Brother Matt Cole, who uh, we didn't need to because God called him home to stop her support. She still needs to. She still has needs in her life. She served right along beside him. Brother Larry Seals with Gulf Coast Prison Ministries. Brother George Wade to the prisons in Texas. Brother Vito Aomi speaks five different languages fluently, camps out in the Himalayan region, slips into villages, holds secret Bible studies. If some of the authorities find him out, they will put him to death. Pastor Wilson, Sarah Pauley, who will be here with us Wednesday. Wall of Grace Ministries. Brother Fred Morris is the founder of that ministry. He was doing the ministry, practicing it long before he founded Wall of Grace. Helps more preachers. Uh, the old video, some of us have seen the two videos of Wall of Grace. The old video had Brother, um, Brother Noel, uh, I cannot call his last name, from up around, um, up around Camden, Tennessee. When I would hear him on that first video that we've all seen, when he would mention Wall of Grace, which is a ministry of helping financially preachers, missionaries, evangelists, um, Brother Noel would mention that he and his wife were down to their retirement. They'd given everything they had through the years, lived in pastoriums through the years. And he said, Wall of Grace has helped us with our drugs, their prescriptions, in their retirement years. One dear brother from Tennessee mentioned his washing machine going out. That doesn't mean anything to you, but most preachers give about everything they got left over away. Most of them do. Uh, I love Brother Fred Morris and what he's done through the years. Brother Robert Wood, who works in local jails and prisons. Brother Danny Tessanier, missionary to India. Brother Ken Trivet on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, who will be with us this week. Brother Mark Thrift, mission evangelist, travels this world all the time. Unsheltered international, meeting many needs in many cities and many places. Rosemary's Home of Hope. Brianna Wallace mentions this prayer need every Wednesday evening for our midweek services when we ask for missionary request NMBBI we give just a little bit every semester to our Bible Institute we have taught about 600 students through the years and they are scattered from here to Georgia and from North Mississippi to South Mississippi and a number of them pastoring churches right here in the area brother Zach LaRue brother Lynn McCord mentions him up in the upper Midwest Missionary doing a great work. Brother Jonathan Fawcett, missionary with uh, the gift of helps, relieving men such as Ken Trivet. 
so that they can leave and make doctor's appointments or leave and come south to visit family or there be a need in family so that they can leave for a week or two. Brother Harold Rochester, he and Miss Joyce have given themselves for years. We still send a bit of support to him. Brother Noel Manninquil doing a great work in the Philippines. Brother Joseph Auberman, Brother Michael Paglinayans, I said that right? Pretty close, all right. And Brother Shane Andrews, whom we met in recent years. We were hoping to take on at least another missionary uh, this year. Let's stand together. Second Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 9. Thank you for allowing me the time to take uh, these extra few minutes before reading our text and then bringing the message. Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying with us, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Would you pray with us and for us, please? Our fathers, we look in this chapter and the following chapter in thy, in thy word. I pray that you might enrich our faith today, challenge us, draw us close to thee, help us to see the need of the grace of giving the giving to missions, the giving so that others may go. Father, we can't go, but others can, and you've called them to it. We can't go, but we can pray, and we can support those who do go. We pray for all your missionaries around the globe. Most of them we'll never meet until we are there with you in the city of God. Lord, will you help them today, undergird them with strength, grant them the wisdom they may stand in need of, meet their every need, whether that be spiritual or physical or financial. Help them to see souls come to Christ. Help them to establish churches where others can come and gather and sit under the teaching of Scripture and sing together and pray together and fellowship one with another and contribute one to the faith of the other. Father, will you help us now as a church family, as a church body, uh, Lord, to uh, hear thy word and heed it as well. Help us to be hearers of the word and doers. Father, help us be obedient in these days. Lord, as has already been prayed, our people, our country, our leaders, our leadership, our communities are are struggling here in the states. Lord, we know you won't just send revival to the country without sending revival through your people. And so, Father, I pray that you might send a stirring. May there be a stirring among the mulberry bushes as you... Uh, speak of in the word of God. Let us know that it's the going forth of the spirit of God among your people. 
And then we pray that souls be saved and there be a great harvest. And Father, will you do a work? Lord, in the meantime, we know your grace to be sufficient whatever we face. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you for standing. The grace of missions giving. I love the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians, Paul had to address some issues. There were some that had slipped into the church, probably much like Jude would write about in his little epistle. They'd slipped in unawares, and they had accused Paul of not being a true apostle. They had accused him of preaching for his own cultish following. They had accused him of preaching for money and a number of other things. And Paul had to address that. As a matter of fact, in chapters 1 through 6, he really has to address it pretty hard. And then toward the end of chapter number 7, the whole mood of the book will change because Titus has gone to Corinth, taking the first letter and bringing back word that they had received. 1 Corinthians is a letter of rebuke. And they had received it well. They, they took the rebuke. You can tell a lot by a man or woman or young person by how they receive instruction and correction. And they received it. And so Paul wrote unto them in those chapters about how heartbroken he was. He is the New Testament Job, just as sure as Job had his own friends who became his critics slash friends, so Paul did as well. It was in a, among a group of people that he had actually led to the Lord and helped found their church. But when he learns that they've received their letter, then the whole mood changes. Then you come to chapters 8 and 9, and he uses some churches who, out of their necessity, still gave. And they wanted to give. They didn't want to miss the blessing. And so Paul uses them as an example, and he challenges all believers as he wrote to the church at Corinth. But he, but he devotes two whole chapters, which are 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, to the subject of giving. To the subject of, of giving. And he likens in these chapters Christian giving to Christian health. Um, when our church may have gone through a struggle or two, I, Brother J.B. in our treasury does an excellent job. He keeps everything on the up and up. Everything can be accounted for. And I would ask him when, when maybe we would be at a season where there would be a bit of struggle of some sort, uh, what's, what's our offering? Of course, usually I don't have to ask him. He just sends it. What do our finances look like? When, when a preacher's talking to me, and there's rarely a day in my life that I don't talk to a preacher from somewhere that's in some battle, struggling somewhere. Maybe it's a group of people that's leaving the church. And I'll always ask, what do your offerings look like? You say, preacher, why? Here's why. You, you can get this out of the book of Nehemiah and out of these two chapters, as well as I'm sure some other places in Scripture, our giving reflects our Christian health. Did you know that? Have you ever thought about that? It reflects our Christian health. Paul writes about that to prove your faith and to prove your love. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, he wrote something similar, didn't he? You remember in 1 Corinthians 5, there was a fellow that was living. He was shacked up with his stepmother, and Paul said, turn him out of the church. He said, do that so that he may understand. I don't have a church family now to pray for me and to support me and to love me. And the design of that was to bring him back in repentance, and it worked. It worked. True. Uh, the young man was, was defiant once upon a time. And so they, they dismissed him from the church fellowship. But when you come to 2 Corinthians 2, there were some that wouldn't forgive him and receive him back into the fold. And Paul rebuked them for that and told them, this is a true test of your Christian health, whether or not you're real or not, whether or not you can forgive him 
and restore him and embrace him and welcome him back in now that he is repentant. And so here he deals with that same type issue regarding Christian giving. Now, in order to give, you don't have to be wealthy, do you? Do you remember what Jesus said about, uh, said to his disciples as he was in the, the temple one day and there was a little widow lady came by and cast in her two mites and he said, fellas, I want to teach you a little lesson right here. He said, she gave more than everybody else gave today. And I'm sure somebody probably asked, now how in the world her giving two mites, which amounts to nothing, how'd she give more? He said, the rest of them out of their abundance they've given, but she gave everything she had. It's all she had. And she gave it unto the Lord and the Lord's work. And that offering would have been taken for the upkeep of the temple back in those days. People who desire to give to the Lord's work will always have something to give. You mark that down. I've seen that. I've lived some of that, as a matter of fact. If I were to ask you this morning, what's your favorite part of a Sunday service? What's your favorite part? Some of you may say Sunday school. Many of you over these years have bragged on Brother Jay Pruton. He does an excellent job. Or maybe one of the other Sunday school teachers in the back, Brianna or Hayden or Lindsay or Miss Shelley or Brian. You might say Sunday school. I, my favorite part is Sunday school. Enjoy it all. But or maybe you would say it's the singing. Maybe, maybe that's what you would say. Or, or maybe a handful of you men might say, well, it's, it's the Sunday morning 9 a.m. prayer meeting in the back when we read Scripture, we briefly give a prayer request, and then we briefly offer a word of thanksgiving each, and then we go to God in prayer. You might say that. Some of you might say the preaching. Very rarely will anybody say my favorite part of the service is giving. As a matter of fact, a lot of preachers avoid the subject of Christian giving and a lot of churches and people sitting on pews don't want to hear the subject of giving, but it's a Bible subject. Paul's not begging for money in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and neither am I this morning. As a matter of fact, if it ever comes down to having to beg for money, uh, you can forget it. I'm not begging for anything. If a man loves God, he'll serve him. If a man loves God, he'll be faithful. If a man wants to give, he'll give and he'll be faithful in it. And he'll thank God that he had something that he could give. I found that to be true over the years. Paul, in chapters 8 and 9, the great issue here is, is the need of the Jerusalem saints. Remember, he's taken an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And there was a great need there, right? As a matter of fact, you'll remember that on the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 were saved there in Jerusalem. Just a few short days later, 5,000 more added to the number. That's 8,000. And there was a famine in those days, and there was a dearth in those days around in and around Jerusalem. People were migrating there because that's where the apostles were preaching the gospel and trying to help ground and found the church. And so there was a great need there, and people were in deep poverty. As a matter of fact, the first deacons that were set aside to serve in such a capacity is found in Acts chapter number 6. And it was out of that same need that Paul was trying to help minister to and, and help need. Which says a lot to us about bearing one another's, bear you one another's burden that the Bible would admonish us. Notice verse number 1. Paul writes, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. To wit means I want to declare something to you. I want to clear something. I want something to be very plain to you. I want you to, I want to declare this. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. He's going to use the fellowship, the churches, 
those local bodies in Macedonia, in that area, in that region, he's going to use them as an example to deal with this grace of giving in these two chapters, the grace of God. If you'll read these two chapters, you'll find the word grace will continue to come up. And it's grace that is connected to the giving of God, right? He is giving toward us, our giving toward one another, or perhaps someone who may not even know what has happened when we feel moved of the Lord to help meet a need in somebody's life. I've given at times, I've felt very uh, very much impressed of the Lord to give, and I've said to my wife, not in a critical tone, but I've just said, I don't even know if they know what we just did. And I don't know that they understand that God impressed upon our souls to reach in our wallet and, and give to help meet a need in their lives. God gives, and he expects his people uh, to be givers as well. The Bible speaks here of the gift of giving. Or, or the Bible speaks of the gift of giving in Romans chapter number 12. There are many gifts that are given, bestowed by the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, the moment you were saved, God gave you a gift. Those gifts are listed in the New Testament. You're looking at a pastor that believes that you actually possess more than one gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe you get a measure of wisdom to go along with whatever your gifting is. We have some gifted people here in this service, but the Bible speaks of one of those gifts being the gift of giving. Let me use an old buddy of mine who's in heaven now uh, as an illustration, then make another statement or two and move on. Wayne Robinson, when I was the four years up at Thrasher Baptist Church, when I was there, he had a small grocery store, and we just wanted to patron him. And we went in there whenever it come time to come up to the counter. Lynette, the cashier, Lynette, just pulled the basket down to the end of the counter and got to bagging things. And I thought, now, this is odd. And then she turned around, and she said, look, there's no charge. And I said, no, we're not going to do that because I'm going to feel bad about coming in here. My wife will. T- I'm not going to do that. I want to I patron him. And uh, so he was in the back room, and I went back there, and I said, Brother Wayne, I can't do this. I understand you told her not to charge. He said, Preacher. He, and I said, I'm not coming back. I'm not going to be a burden on you. And uh, Doug Jones, Brother Doug, drilled that in me years ago. He said that, and I want you to listen to me. He said that a lot of preachers walk around with their hands stuck out. Because they're a preacher, they think everybody ought to give something to them. Do you know if we're not careful as a church, we'll go to people's building supply? or we'll go to true value, or we'll go somewhere and think they owe us something because we're the church, because we are a church. I want to tell you something. We ought to be willing to pay full price, and if we get the Baptist discount, that's full price price plus 10. Uh, Let's do that and keep keep, uh, a good standing in the community. But but I said to Brother Wayne, I said, I'm not coming back. I'm not going to be a burden uh, on you, and I don't want you to hate to see me coming. And he said, Preacher, he said, you better come back. He said, I expect you to come back. You're my preacher. And he said, you're coming back. And he said, your grocery's already paid for as long as you're my pastor. He said, he said listen to me. Now, if you looked at him, he's a very unassuming man. He's a good businessman and had a very generous spirit about him. This is what he said, and you've heard me tell this before. But he said, Brother Kevin, he said, God's been good to me. And he said, all I'm trying to do is pass a little of that on. Amanda, you've heard him say that a number of times. And that gentle giant of a man is with the Lord. He's in the city of God today. And, but he had the gift of giving. Brother Wayne never wanted anybody to know that he had given anything. If he'd hear of a need in the community, he'd take groceries or he'd send an offering. Probably about every benefit around the Prentice County area, he'd send money to help somebody that was in need if they'd lost their home to fire, whatever the case would be. We've got people sitting on our church pews at Charity Baptist Church that have the gift of giving. 
They've given and they've given over and again. And they don't want anybody knowing when they give. Did you know that's true to Scripture? Someone with the gift of giving, the Bible says let him give with simplicity. You know what that means? Don't let them give waving the flag. Don't give drawing attention to self. It means to give, and they're just as fulfilled in their giving as I am in preaching the Word of God today. Now, there's the gift of giving. And then there's tithing. That's a basic in the Christian walk, right? That's, that's storehouse tithing. We believe in that. That was used in the temple. Uh, people would give, and the storehouse was a closet area where they would bring the tithes of the people and put it in storage. It would help take care of the ministry and the upkeep of the temple, and that's what our tithe does. And I'm not here to preach on the tithe today, but that is 10%, right, of the income. Of course, the age-old question in our Baptist churches is, what do we tithe off of? Do we tithe off the gross or the net? My question has always been in return, which do you want to be blessed on? You haven't given anything until you've given a tithe. And we don't send the tithe to Benny Hinn or to some other evangelist. We don't send it to support a radio program, not the tithe. We don't send the tithe to the local food pantry. We bring it to the church, and then we may give something else to somebody else. We donate every now and then to a Jewish uh, hunger program, Amanda and I do. Or maybe we'll give to the American Cancer Society. I'm a cancer survivor. My mother died with cancer. Most of her people on the Hester side have died with cancer. And so we give a little bit on occasion to the American Cancer Society, but I don't give my tithe to the American Cancer Society. I give my tithe to the general funds. As a matter of fact, when we put our tithe and offering, whatever we're giving to our general fund of our church, when it hits the offering plate, it loses its identity. We can't ever come. If we were to hold a business meeting, we can't come and say, well, I give 200 a week or 300 a week or $50 a week and say, I've got more of a voice and somebody gives 20 a week. No, we, we put whatever we put in that offering and it loses its identity. It becomes monies that are to be used for ministries of the local assembly. Can I get a witness just to make sure you ain't just staring me down and you're listening to me this morning? Let me do say this about the tithe. And, 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 and I'm like a great mind of yesteryear. I got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. Can I get an amen? Y'all better pray for me. Listen to the promise connected to the tithe. Listen to this. Only time you'll find God saying anything like this in all of Scripture. Listen to this. This is for you if you're here today and you say, I can't afford to tithe. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to tithe. Are you listening to me? How many of us have heard the testimony of someone that has said, I can live freer and better off 90% of my increase than I can 100%? Do you know that's Bible? If you'll go back to Malachi 3, verses 8 and 9, but listen to, God tells you to put him to the test, to the tithe. And I can't get hung up here, but listen to the promise. Listen, uh, Malachi 3 and verse number 10, listen to what he says. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Isn't that something? God said, try me. He said, I'm God, put me to the test. And I will just announce to you today, God's got plenty of money. He don't need our money. The, the giving of the tithe is an offering of the first fruits. It was displayed among the Jewish people in the Old Testament, Right? And it's an act of faith saying, God, you've got the first. I don't pay my car note and then pay my house rent and then pay my light bill and then see if I can give you a little something. But I'm going to give you right off the top, you get the tithe. You get the tithe. 
I, I have pastored people. And I'm thinking about one man I could call. Thinking about several men, but I'm thinking about one man in one man in particular in Etowamba County. Brother Jimmy Horton preached on a Monday night. He's got a sermon he's famous for, and he'll bring apples and oranges and potatoes and bananas, and he takes them out of a big old. It was an old medicine uh, medicine suitcase that were where salesmen would uh, be a pharmaceutical rep and go around from doctor's office to doctor's, a big square box and that looked like a, just a big, wide briefcase. And he would preach out of Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10, and he would talk about how that God would open the windows of heaven and he'd put, those, he'd put a potato and a tomato and he'd put a carrot and he'd put some, and before long he just kept putting it and it kept falling off the sides. And he said, now that's what God said, but he said, don't just work him in there. Tithe off the first fruits. We had a man that night came up to me, and he said this after the service. He said, I've never done that. He said, I've tried to figure how I can put 10% of what the factory paid. He said, but, I, but he said, tonight I got in the altar, and I've got that right. And you talking about joy? God blessed that man with joy. God blessed that man with joy. And, uh, and I've had other people do the same uh, in, in that. Um, I, I've, I must hasten. Listen to what the Lord said. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. Luke 6, verse number 38. Listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. Brother uh, Hunter was talking about uh, words in red this morning when he was doing the devotional. I don't have a red letter edition. I, I just, I, I've never wanted to come to the pulpit and say, that Jesus said this, and so this means more than the rest of it. So I just don't have one like that. They're all important. And that was not his emphasis this morning. I just want to bring that up. But listen to what our Lord had to say. Luke 6 and 38, the Bible says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Listen to this. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Did you know this is a promise that the blessed Lord, our blessed Lord gave to his disciples, and, and it applies to us today? Now, in our thinking, we think, well, if we give 10 out of 100, then that means God's going to give us 20 back. That's not what he's saying. There are the blessings of God in many other areas of our lives. I guarantee you, if you try to withhold what God said, I lay claim to, that you try to withhold and you'll be working on a washing machine or the front end of a pickup truck or are you listening to me? Most of us can testify to that. We've heard that before. Now, I don't want to minimize something. Before we get into these two chapters, and I can't deal with every verse in, in the two chapters, but, but I, I never want to minimize the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I've touched on that already. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will touch your heart. You'll learn about a need. Maybe a couple has, or a man has, or, or a mother has, or a family has, or a missionary or a preacher has somewhere. And, and you'll feel impressed of the, of, the, of the Lord to give something to them. You remember recently in a service I mentioned when Brother Tracy Quillen surrendered to preach. It was a Thursday night in a summer meeting at Pleasantdale. He went outside. He come back inside. He went back outside. He got under a pickup truck trying to get away from the conviction of God. He was working at Cooper Tire making good money. And he knew if he surrendered to preach, that had to go because he had to go to church. And he couldn't miss every other weekend if he's going to be a preacher. So he come back in and walked down the aisle squalling. And he said, Brother Kevin, he said, God's calling me to preach. And I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, but he said, I'm surrendering right here, right now, tonight. God touched my heart about that big, green, hardbound set of Matthew Henry's. And uh, said, give it to him. He's going to need some, but said, give it to him. And I said, Lord, I can't. 
cost me $89.99. I said, I can't give it. I struggled. I was still a young Christian, even though I was pastoring a church. I said, I can't. And in my heart, what I was saying is no to the Lord. I said, I ain't. And I spent a few sleepless nights, and I got up early and went in early. Bobby Sappington would let me come in early and earn extra money and stay an hour or two late, whatever he needed, except on Wednesday I got out of there in time to go to church. And finally God took enough of my appetite and sleep and made me miserable, and I called him. I said, you going to be around home? And he said, I am. I said, I got something for you. That's all I said. I still about half griped about it. And I took him the books. I took him the books. And I'm going to tell you it wasn't two weeks later, Brother Ronnie Barefield and I got to get to know one another. And he got to give me some of them old Keswick books that's out of print and got to putting stuff on my shelf. And one night, I used to stay up late and do my studying. We had four kids we was trying to raise. And I'd stay up late to do my studying when the house would get still and quiet. I remember going by my bookshelf. I had one bookshelf. And God showed me those handful of books Brother Barefield gave to me. And you couldn't, you couldn't find, I couldn't find them. He'd been to England, England and had purchased an extra set. And I wound up with them. Look, you can't outgive God. Have you ever heard that before? You cannot outgive God. Look at verse number 7 of chapter number 9. Well, look at verse number 6. Verse number 6 says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You know what I've said to preachers one-on-one through the years about ministry, entering into the ministry, Brother Terrence? I've said to every one of them that have talked to me about it, you're going to get out of this what you put in it. Don't expect to get any more out of it than what you put in it. And that's true for any preacher. That's true for any Sunday school teacher. That's true for any song leader. That's true for any servant of God. He said that you sow sparingly. Don't be surprised. You're going to reap that way. He said you sow bountifully. He said don't be shocked when God goes to blessing you and meeting your needs. Could I give you just an illustration or two or three Then we're going to go through this text, and and I'm going to do it not to neglect the Word of God, but I'm going to do it somewhat um, in an overview-type, synopsis-type of a a manner. And and I could. Listen, I I got it, man. I've I've studied 2 Corinthians, so I've got it before me. I just don't want to hold you till 2.30. I've got to preach tonight down at Chicken Bone. Somebody say amen. I was trying to tell Jonathan Thacker where I'm preaching tonight, and he said, Chicken Bone, what is it, Brother Jay? Is it Pleasant Hill? Pleasant Ridge, down in Calhoun County. So I got to get I got to get me a nap or something sometime along the way, but and I won't. But uh, let me let me tell you about a dear lady. She was seventy six years old and had a conversation with a young pastor. When she was a young lady, her husband died. They had two boys. She was still a young woman. She was a nurse and took on extra work at the hospital uh, to help meet the needs that she and her two boys had. She saw to it her boys went to church every Sunday. She had to work a lot of Sundays. But at the end of the day, the neighbors would take the boys, and the boys would eat lunch, go back on Sunday night, and, and they'd feed them supper, and then uh, they would walk them over to her house whenever she'd get home. She'd always ask the boys about the Sunday services, and they were expected to tell their mother. One Sunday night, she got in from work, and they said, Mom, next Sunday we're having mission Sunday. We're going to have missionaries all day. And we're going to take a special offering next Sunday for missions and we're going to start supporting missions at our church. And they were excited, and this is what they said. They said, Mom, we want to give a good offering to the first missions offering. Well, she remembered when her church did that long ago. And she was very thankful to hear that. 
She said, boys, we can't give much of an offering. She said, we do have $200 in savings, but the roof needs replaced before winter comes. And of course, uh, in the night, this is what she said. She was talking to her pastor about it. And uh, that night she went to bed, and, and, but she couldn't sleep. This is what she said in a quote. Uh, she was talking to the young pastor, and she said, Pastors, I lay there thinking about the $200 in the missions offering. She said, God began to speak to my heart and to say, I want you to give the $200 to missions. And then Miss Barron, she went on to say this. She said, I learned a long time ago not to argue with God. And thus, before I went to sleep that night, I said, God, we'll take the $200 next week and give it in the missions offering. She told the boys the next morning they were excited. That was when money amounted to a, a, went a long ways. It was her husband died during the days of the Depression era. And on the, on the next Sunday, they gave the 200. The boys were awfully thankful for it. And then that Monday following when they gave the 200, one of the boys was sitting at the dining room table while she was preparing supper. And he said, Mom, he's working on his homework. Uh, he said, Mom, do you know who Pikes Peak is named after? She said, no, but we'll look it up in the reference set. Of course, she pulled down the world book encyclopedia, and when she looked it up, she said, Zebulon Pike, that's your answer. Well, he wrote it down on his own work, and he was finished. After supper, they were, uh, they were sitting there in the living room uh, listening to the radio, and then the phone rang, and she was on the radio. And uh, the DJ on the other end asked, is this Miss Mabel Barron? And she said it was. And then the voice said, this is your quiz, Master, from WMAQ. We've chosen your name at random from the phone book. And then he said, our question for the week is, do you know who Pikes Peak is named after? And she said, well, yeah, I do, Zebulon Pike. He said, congratulations, ma'am. This week's prize is $200. I could call on three of our men right now. One of them that I'm thinking about, the first pledge he made to the first missions conference we had, in two weeks, I believe it was, God gave him his money. He had pledged, gave it back to him. I can tell you about another one of our men that pledged to give in the missions offering every month, and God gave him a raise at work, and the raise was going to more than cover what he had pledged for the next year. It's amazing. I could give you another illustration. It's amazing what God will do when you give to help get the gospel spread around the world. I could give you a lot of illustrations today, but I'm not going to do that. Let's look at this, let's look at this chapter. You've been very patient with me thus far. Let, let, me, let me tell you what Paul writes about here about giving. Number one, he writes about joyful giving. Look at chapter 8, verse 2, where the Bible says, uh, He that, and we're, we're going to stay in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 8, verse number 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, he's talking about the churches in Macedonia, uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. There was joy in their giving. Look, if you will, at chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 7. Chapter 9, verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth, somebody said, for God loveth a what? Cheerful giver. And you know the word study I'm fixing to give you. The word cheerful comes from the word hilario. It's where we get the word hilarious. God loves a cheerful giver. Did you know the happy people of the church? Are you listening to me? It's the giving people of the church. The happy people of... And, and mind you, they who give and have a desire to give will always have something that they can give. 
You mark that down. God will see to that. They'll give of their money. They'll give of their time. They'll give of their energies. They'll give of their resources. One of our men, Bushog, he doesn't know that I know about it. He Bushog back here and cleaned this up before our missions conference. He wanted our church grounds to look good. We've got a couple in our church. They give. Not only do they tithe and give offerings and give to missions, but they keep this place looking pretty spick and span around here, inside and outside. They give. There are two men that are responsible for our blessing box. And let me encourage you, bring something and put in that. There's a Sunday school class down here at Green Valley that brings up the hill about once a week and puts stuff in there, and it's gone within an hour or two. Bring something. We've got two men that gave of themselves to see that that got put out there. Now, we're to give of our increase. We're to give of how God's blessed us, but we're to give of all of our resources unto the Lord's work. Now, did you notice the attitude mentioned? He said, when you give, don't do it grudgingly. As a matter of fact, someone who gives grudgingly, you know what you need to do with your attitude? You need to bring that to the cross. That's what you need to do with your attitude. God gave the best so that we could be set free. God gave the best for sinners. God gave the best for the worst. And out of that, our appreciation for that, we should be willing to give too. Don't maintain the attitude of a slave. A slave would say, I don't have a choice. I have to. That preacher said something about it. Don't have the attitude of some type of a servant that says, well, it has to be done. I need to keep the nursery. Why? I got to do my part back there. But have the attitude that of a son. We are little s, sons of God. We're children of God. And our attitude ought to be, I want to. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to help where I can help in my local church. Now, faith promise is, is given, uh, born uh, partially to a large degree, as a matter of fact, of that partially. Look, if you will, at chapter 9 and verse number 7. I'm interested in the word purposeth, where the Bible says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. As he purposeth in his heart. That's an interesting word. It's one of the key words of the whole faith promise movement. As he purposeth in his heart. Let him give what he purposes, what he decides, what he proposes, what he intends, what he chooses to do, what he prefers, or what he makes plans to give. According to chapter 9, I won't read all these verses. According to chapter 9, verse number 2, this kind of giving, it focuses on missions. In chapter number 8 and verse number 4, I do want to read this verse. That faith promise giving is fellowship giving. Listen to chapter 8 and verse number 4. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Um, three men that will be here this week, we, we, we all partner together, we fellowship together, and we send a little bit of support to their work. That's Brother Mark Thrift, Brother Ken Trivet, Brother Wilson, Sarah Pauley, and the work that they do. And we as a local body, we partner with other local assemblies around this country in helping to sustain them and meet their needs so that they can go and do what they do. Now, I've given you two things. I've thought about this. I've given you two things, two matters regarding, uh, re- regarding God being liberal about two things. You've heard me say this. Number one, he's liberal about giving. Number two, he expects us to be liberal about giving. But according to chapter 9 and verse number 11, God blesses liberal giving. Did you know when a soul is saved at Pine Ridge, there's a bit of credit given to our church who gives to help keep he and Miss Sherry on the field? 
when Wilson Sarah Pauli goes back to India and leads people to the Lord, do you know every church it gives to that work to make that possible? Do you know those of you who, some of you still send a bit to help, bag, help buy a bag of rice for a pastor over there so that he can feed his family for a month? When that man leads another soul to the Lord. It, it may very well be when you get to heaven. I think all the attention is going to be on Christ. But it could be possible when you get to heaven, somebody from India may approach you and say, thank you for giving. Because you gave, I'm here today. You helped that preacher to be freed where he could preach the gospel. Let me say this. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter number 8. Paul writes not only about joyful giving, but spiritually minded giving. Verses 4 and 5, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Spiritually minded giving. Now, you don't hear me say much about giving, and I'm going to tell you why. You don't have to browbeat people to give. You don't have to come in through the back door. And trick people into giving. You don't have to be underhanded. Spiritually minded people want to give. They know what the scriptures say. And so you don't need a gimmick for anything like that. First Timothy chapter number 6 verse 10. Don't turn there. Let me read it. The Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now what a statement about the depravity of man. You can tell where I am by what I do with money. Did you know money is in the neuter? It's neutral. There's nothing good or bad about it. He didn't say money was evil. He said the love of it. Men have taken other men's lives. Men have harmed their own families after the death of a loved one in order to get their hands on a bit of money. And so he's writing about that. Uh, in, In verse number four, again, Paul's not doing... He's not the one doing the begging here. The churches were in poverty, verse number 4 of chapter 8, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. Evidently, Paul had told them, don't send it. You need your money. And what they were saying is, don't beat me out of a blessing. One of the hardest things for me the last 30-plus years is when somebody comes to me trying to give me something, receiving it. But you know what I've learned the hard way through the years? that You would cheat them out of a blessing. If you stopped them from doing the giving. I love what he says here when he says that they were willing of themselves, verse number 3, praying us with much entreaty, verse number 4 of chapter 8, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Verse 5 says, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. That's where my good friend Matthew Poole, he got in and said he lives his life in the offering plate. I've got so much to cover and I don't have the time. Paul gives examples of giving, model giving. Chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3. The churches of Macedonia would have been the Thessalonians, the Philippians, and would have been the Bereans. They gave of themselves, and they gave beyond themselves. Here's what I'm saying. When we left uh, Hurricane a few years back, were it not for the kindness of a handful of people, I don't know how, I don't know how we'd have survived. Um... We were members of Unity Baptist Church for a year. We didn't want to put any church in the under, in, in, under any undue pressure. And so for a year, we, we joined a church. We were faithful to that church. I preached every Sunday. 
As a matter of fact, I preached in 100 churches that year. I preached nearly every night and a lot of mornings that year. And I was recovering from cancer treatments and was wore out. Amanda and I both, she helped me. It hit me first. I thought I'd lay down and die after we wound up moving to Iuka. The whole family, we called a family meeting, trying to think of how to help her. You would not have known her. You would not have known her. Um, but while we were members of Unity, we wanted to give to the Faith Promise Missions offering that year. We didn't have anything. We didn't have anything, did we, Amanda? But you know what we got to praying about? We got to praying, God, would you give us something so that we can give something? And I came in one day and I said, Amanda, I said, God's placed an amount on my heart and we don't have it. And she said, God's put an amount on my heart. And I said, what does he put on your heart? She said, you go first. I said, God's put $1,000 on my heart to give in the missions offering. She said, that's exactly what God put on my heart. We didn't have it. We didn't have it. And she said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to pray about it. And would you believe somebody wrote us a $1,000 check before missions week at Unity Baptist Church in the year 2008, God is my witness. We put it in our bank account and wrote the check for it and gave it. And I told Brother Ronnie what happened. Dana Williams, Brother Dana, who we just heard Wednesday night, he said that he and Esther were traveling and said God put on his heart to give to a preacher $5,000. And he said, I didn't have it. And he said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give it when you give it to me. He said, God told me to give that preacher $5,000. said, I didn't know what he had, what he owned, if he's under some need, in distress. Didn't know. But he said, he said, God gave me a figure, put it on my heart to give to a preacher $5,000. He said, Brother Chris, he said, immediately I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give that preacher $5,000. When you give it to me, I'll give it to him. And someone gave him a check, wrote him a check for $5,000. And he said, all I did was turned the back of the check over and endorsed it and gave it right back to that pastor and said, mail that to, and he mentioned the preacher's name. I've had that happen to me many times through the years. Now, God can talk with you and understand him, and you'll be amazed at what God can do through giving. Sensible giving. Now, I want some of you to hear this because some of you are struggling with it right now. Now, just take you a deep breath and let it out. I'll give you this and only one more point of emphasis, and I'll close. I'll be true to my word. Look at verses 12 and 13. Paul also writes about sensible giving. I want you to listen to this carefully. Sensible giving. Look at chapter number 8, verses 12 and 13. Look at these verses. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according... To that he hath not. Did you hear that? For I mean not that other men be eased and you be burdened. In other words, he said, if you don't have it to give, you don't have to feel one bit sorry about that. Did you hear that? Let's read the two verses again. Sensible giving. Don't give and put yourself in a burden, under a burden, and then the bunch have to bail you out now. If you don't have it to give, don't you give it. You say, preacher, I want to give. You give what you have to give from. And if you don't have it, you don't have to hold your head down. If somebody gave $1,000 in the missions offering next Sunday morning, and you give your tithe, and that's all you can give, then you give your tithe, and you let God take care of the details of that missions account. 
You say, preacher, you ought to be challenging more than that. I'm telling you what the book says. I preached this one time, and an elder man, out of this verse, and an elder man come up to me, and he said, thank you. He said, for years, he's 80 years old now. He's a good friend of mine from Ryanzi. He said, preacher, for years, I've been beat over the head with the Bible about giving. When I would give my tithe and my offering and give in revivals and things like that, what I had. But he said, preacher, I've never had much money. Look at what he says. Verses 12 and 13. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye be burdened. Here's what we know about that. We learn God does not expect us to give what we do not have. We learn, secondly, God does not expect everybody to give the same amount. I'm talking about this faith promise business. God doesn't expect everybody to give the same amount. We learn number three, common sense. According to verse number 12 of chapter 8, is not to be thrown out the window. And then in verse number 13, we learn that we're not to impoverish our own families and become a burden on others. You are to be responsible with your money, careful with your money, and be a good steward. Give what you can give. And give as unto the Lord and forget the rest of it. Y'all have been very patient with me. And I want to give you one more item because I've been working toward this the last two or three years in this church. And I do want to make a statement about going forward and as, what, as far as what's in my heart. And I want you to, several verses, I'm only going to make two or three, I'm only going to make two or three statements, and I won't be long with it. Look at chapter 8, verses 16 to 24. There's been an offering taking, taken. And it's going to be sent not by one man, but it's going to be sent by three men. Whatever the amount was in the beginning, that's what they are to deliver when they get to their destination. All three men have a good testimony. That's why he didn't put one, but he put two, put three together. That the money would be accountable. That somebody can give an account for it. Watch this, chapter 8. We're only going to read it. Don't have time to work through it. Watch this, chapter 8, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this. Do you see that? Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. He said, other men need to know that we've done right by this offering. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, and our brethren be inquired of. They are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show you to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. It does not hurt any of us in this church to be accountable. There are financial records out in our foyer now. You, you were welcome to them before we ever started putting them out there. 
You have a right to know it's a church where the monies are going. If you have a question, you have the right to ask. But we ought to be accountable around here. One of the reasons why I came to you as a church body and asked you to help me to ordain three men to serve on a rotation basis was for accountability. Do you remember before we, before we remodeled this? You remember what we did, men? For three months. We brought plans. We discussed it. We talked it. We'd come back to the church and discuss it and talked it. You remember that? And somebody that left made the statement, said, well, we didn't get what we wanted. And I sent question back because they sent question. I said, what was it you wanted? Because we as a group of people, we discussed what we all agreed on, and that's what we got. We did that for three months. We had two different committees, one committee of men, one committee of ladies. The only time I ever addressed the confusion was over the lies that was told. Y'all remember that? Now, I could really get in a ditch on this. Y'all may have talked it among yourselves, but I've kept it under my hat and had to just take the shots. When they came, we don't get any more now. But you remember what was said? Eighty-some-odd thousand is going to be spent to paint the back and put carpet in. That was a lie. You remember what was said? And, and look, when I addressed it, nobody ever came out and said, let's talk about it. Nobody. You remember what was said about the altar? We won't have near as much room in the altar now. And we won't be able to seat near as many people in the sanctuary. Now, I don't preach to people who aren't here. But here's what I'm saying. We met before we ever started to get a plan going forward. Accountability is good for this church. It's good for any church. It's good for me and it's good for you. And as long as I'm here, we're going to do everything we can to do everything out in front of the church. A church member has a right to know. Can I get an amen? Thank you. And thank you for your patience. Let's stand.